Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Hi, Amy. Amy, how are you? Hi, Justin. I am doing well. I'm staying warm. It is cold. It is a little cold outside. There was some snow on the ground this morning, which I was like, what? I thought yeah. we were going into spring. Come no, on. No, that's fake. It's fake spring, Justin. Don't get your hopes oh, up. That don't, was the psych don't, out yeah, spring. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Don't place all your dreams on fake spring because it'll let you down. I did send <laughs> a note to my hunting buddy. I was like, uh, there are 26 days until we're in Palm Springs together. So oh. I'm super happy. When you can't have real spring, you go to Palm Springs. There is nothing <laughs> wrong with that. It's so good to see you. So we did some pretty serious work on the green room this past week. We uh, put in a yoga studio and a food trough, which yep. is a weird combination. We've got a, a guest that's coming in today, uh, Jacob Donahue with Windermere. He, I was talking to him a couple weeks ago, and he was like, I've really gotten into hot yoga. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. And so we decided to build a yoga studio, bring in some baby goats. And, <gasps> baby uh, goats? Yeah. And oh. the class is being taught by Jason Momoa, and Bradley Cooper is taking the class as well. So like, Jake is having uh. a super awesome time. Yeah. Justin, <clears throat> do you think I will be able to go get him when it's time? Because I don't know if you know how I feel about baby goats, but... I oh. have no idea. <laughs> I, I think that that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. It's really hot and stinky back there. So just, yeah. you know, be prepared yeah. that mm-hmm. it's going to waft and hit you in the face. Uh, but after <laughs> a good 35, 40 minutes, you'll get used to it. It'll be fine. So I've been reading this book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Ah, yes, Tim Ferriss talks about this idea of Mm -hmm. a lot of people timeline their lives. Like they set a goal and they build a timeline around like, these are the steps that we're going to take to get to this idea that we're going to meet our goals. A lot of what we talk about in entrepreneurism is thing called BHAGs. So a big, hairy, audacious goal. Tim Ferriss refers to Mm. it as a dream. Um, This is a dream of mine. And so the idea of dreamlining is taking a dream that you think is ridiculous. It's big, hairy, audacious, like you could never do it. Like this could never happen. But you're like, gosh, if I didn't have to do anything else in my life, this is what I would want to do. And then actually building a timeline around getting there. So (laughs) I'm I'm wondering, I know that you and Glenn, Glenn is your lovely wife. She's Uh one of my favorite people in the world. Glenda Ford. I mean, (laughs) nobody calls her Glenda but me. Don't advertise Um, it. (laughs) Nope. Don't ever call Glenn Ford Glenda. But I know you guys are in the process of building your dream home. What else are some of your dreams that like, what would you like? Like as soon as you said that, I think I have to, my, my whole experience of getting into real estate was, what do we call them again? BHAG? BHAG's big, hairy, audacious goals. BHAG. I mean, I I think absolutely for me stepping into real estate, not to take us back in time, but that was such a dream for me. And I remember this period of time where it was like, oh, I wonder if I would ever do that. That sounds interesting. And so when I started thinking about, you know, jumping into this career, I mean, I think it felt terrifying. It felt like a, a big, big, hairy and audacious because I was the one in our relationship who had the right regular income. Although, you know, at the time she made way more than I did, but just being a federal employee, there's a certain amount of security in that, Justin. Yes. Yeah. It felt very safe. (laughs) Yes. 
Absolutely. And I think that when, I mean, I still think that people are like, whoa, you did that thing. And that was totally crazy. You know, so we sort of did set up a timeline. Like once I started to get more serious about it, we, you know, we had bigger conversations about, you know, the finances of it and what that would look like. We sort of set it up to ensure that Glenn could carry us for a period of time. It actually didn't end up being that she needed to, which was amazing. And she will also tell you that I, at some point, cranked up that timeline. I kind of kind of shaved about six months off of our agreement. At yeah. some point, I was like, I need out. I got to get out. I'm thinking about this in terms of like your business, what you were doing for working for the government. It was kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet. You always knew the food was there, but it's all just like kind of yeah. shitty, like reconstituted eggs. You know, a lot of like, jello. A lot of jello. A lot of jello, really dried out prime rib. Like, <laughs> But it was always there. You'd always have something to eat, right? And then you switch from that to this, which is what Glenn does as well, which is you eat what you kill. Yeah. And if you don't kill anything, you don't eat anything. But yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're having venison tonight. Oh, and by the way, caviar is also on the menu. Like all of a sudden your your every meal became fantastic, but at any moment yes. you could be starving again. It's absolutely terrifying. And I think that, you know, we are involved, like you mentioned, in a project of our own right now. And so the combination of those things, it turns out, it does require one to stay connected to an abundance mindset, I think, and, and really try and yes. also stay in a place where you trust that things are going to keep happening. I mean, you do the work too, but when you think about our listener, the, the one person who listens to our podcast, they're a real estate agent. They would rather have one fantastic steak martini meal yeah. than a lifetime of reconstituted eggs. Yes. And so these are people who have an entrepreneurial spirit. They're looking to get out there and to do it. Looking at my life, by the time I had gotten to 40, I had never been outside the US. I've been to Mexico and to Canada, but they don't count. Like that's yeah. America's attic and basement, like not so yeah. much. And so I was diagnosed with uh, early onset dementia misdiagnosed early onset dementia by a doctor and I freaked out and I was like in the year that was be or in the nine months that was between that diagnosis and when COVID started I went to Macau China to um Sicily and to uh, Havana Cuba and traveled outside the country for three times the first time in my entire life so during COVID wow. we're <laughs> Like had a lot of time to sit around and work on spreadsheets. And we just started developing this thing that we decided that we sold our house. We got rid of all mm -hmm. of our earthly possessions because I was still mm -hmm. dealing with this um, diet, this misdiagnosis. Material things became like really unimportant at that point. And yeah. everything that was important to me was about human interaction and, and experience. And we built this spreadsheet and decided that we are going to travel the world for 24 months. We, are, we will not have a home or a car. We will be living out of a suitcase. And wow. we're breaking up into eight week sections where it's seven weeks of like, quote unquote, living somewhere. And then one week of vacationing somewhere. Somewhere. And there's a total of 12 places that we are going to live and 14 places we are going to vacation. So, wow. places, 14, so 26 cities total in this trip. And we have actually like timelined it and put it together. And like our lease ends on the place that we're leasing right now. Our son goes to college and suddenly I'm in a position where like I literally going to travel the world for 24 months. Like I am, wow. I am dreamlining. Yes. Talk <laughs> yes. about, wow. Big, hairy, audacious dream. Justin, that is yeah. amazing. 
amazing. So did you start small? Like, were you just you and Joe sort of throwing around this idea of like traveling would be fun and then watch it grow? Or Joe was not into it. Honestly, the hardest <laughs> thing to overcome this so far was that Joe was like, I, I'm not going because I can't bring my entire desk with me. And so the initial conversation was, hey, why don't you pick six cities that you've always wanted to live in in your entire life? And I'll pick six cities. We'll see where they overlap. And then we'll pick some more cities if we can't get to 12. And then I was like, hey, why don't you pick six cities or seven cities that you've always wanted a vacation in? And we just started like writing lists and like making lists and stuff. And then once we got the list put together, I was like, so if we were going to live in Manhattan, Manhattan's one of our cities. If we were going to live in Manhattan, would you rather live Manhattan in the fall or in the spring? And he's like, oh, springtime in Manhattan. Or I'm sorry, fall in Manhattan. And I was like, what about Paris? He's like, oh, springtime in Paris. Uh, What about London? Oh, Christmas in London. And so we kind of- (laughs) There's a timeline right there. Yeah, we assign seasons to all of it. And I kind of put the whole thing together so that we are in these various cities during these perfect seasons. And then I started saying to Joe, did not, I made Joe, his computer died. He had a big, humongous desktop computer. <laughs> it died. And I said to him, I was like, hey, why don't you get a laptop? He's like, I don't want a laptop. I don't like that trackpad because you know, boomer. And so I, I made him buy a laptop instead mm-hmm. of a desktop computer. As COVID started to end, we started to travel. And I would be like, hey, why don't you throw your laptop in your backpack so that you'll have your laptop with you while we're traveling? And he's like, no. So we go on like three trips. And like halfway through, he's like, hey, can I borrow your laptop? I want to watch a TV show. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you cannot. You cannot Bring borrow my laptop. Bring your own laptop, buddy. I have to work. Right now. (laughs) So he went on a trip to Florida like three weeks ago and he comes to me and he was like, Hey, do you have like a, like a little attache or a little briefcase or something that I can throw my computer in? And I was like, I do. I had already (laughs) bought one for him because I I was like, this is totally your style. Cause like, you know, I carry a bamboo hand carved briefcase that is like beyond precious, but like (laughs) terrible to travel with. So I got him this like canvas, like total travel bag. He threw his computer in there. He took it with him and he went and visited some friends and while he was there with these friends in Florida, he started talking about this ridiculous idea that I had that was to travel the, the world for 24 months. And they were like, oh my goodness, this is the most exciting thing I've ever heard. I can't believe you guys had this opportunity. All of these things have fallen as a place. You're young enough to do it. You can work remotely. You don't have a kid at home. You don't own a house anymore. You yeah. don't have any pets. Like all these signs are pointing to like, you, the, you are do set it. ready to go. go. He came back and the first thing he said to me was like, I'm really excited about our trip. And I was like, our trip? I and I was like, do you mean for our 20th anniversary? Because we we're going to Belize for a week, like to go scuba diving, which is like a very normal trip for us. And he was like, no, no, no. I mean, the trip, the trip. I'm excited about it. And I was like, oh, 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 you're excited about the trip. And so my my request is that every single person who listens pops out, all three of you, because Amy's going to listen to it, I'll listen to it, and then we have our listener, um, <laughs> that take a moment and think of what your big, hairy, audacious goal is. Don't mm-hmm. think about how you're going to get there. Think about what, what the, the ridiculous thing is. If you didn't have to do anything else, what would you want to do with your time? What excites you? Mm-hmm. Once you have that established, start dreamlining. Start figuring out what a timeline would look like to get to that point. We only live on this earth for 80 years if we're super lucky like really really lucky and any of that time that is wasted is just wasted you don't ever get it back this is not a renewal resource life is finite spend it doing what you love what you absolutely mm-hmm. love and mm-hmm. speaking of which amy goats. love goats, goats. <laughs> i knew it i knew you were gonna come back around to baby goats 
I'm going to get him, Justin. I'll be right back. I, okay. I'll be quick. I'll be quick, I promise. I, 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 I know you will, Amy. Thank you. Amy, where have you been? I've oh. been gone for like 20 minutes. Justin. The, the agreement was just not that far. Justin, it was the baby goats. Jake, <laughs> Jake, thank you for bringing the baby goats into my world today. And, you know, a little yoga because that always really feels good. But baby goats, oh. <laughs> So Jason Momoa was back there there with Bradley Cooper and the baby goats. We were doing uh, hot yoga. So Jake, what did you think? How did it go? First of all, it was hot and it wasn't hot because of the temperature. <laughs> There's a lot of Speedos back there. Yes. I saw a lot of Speedos going. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of oil too, just to like loosen up the backs, the muscles, all yep. of that. Although I think my eyes were more so on those cute goats. Um, <laughs> very, very cute. Very distracting was hard to focus on the other things in the room, but it was a fun time. I was like, I'm not sure which one spells worse, Jason Momoa or the goats. I'm not, just not sure. Yeah, I don't know what I was smelling, but it was something. Awesome. Oh. Jake Donahue, welcome to the show. Uh, Jake Donahue is a real estate agent in the Seattle area with Windermere. Uh, he goes by Jacob Donahue professionally, but all of his friends and his clients call him Jake. So Jake, how long have you been in real estate? May of 2021, but there's actually, I've been and property management side of it for about four and a half years and briefly held a license back in Minneapolis. Average medium house price in Minneapolis at this point, where are we there? Oh my God, nowhere near where we are here. <laughs> Let's see, I think there we're probably- $14. Yeah, like, yeah, no, I feel like my hometown maybe. Um, yeah. Minneapolis, we're probably at- 425,000, maybe 500. Wow. Here we're up almost to eight. Isn't that just mind boggling when you think of that? It's that always just blows my brain. There are places where you, where your money goes so much further than these lovely cities where we live, Jake. Oh God, my grandmother, I called her yesterday and told her about like an offer that I put in that was over a million and she like shat herself. I don't know if I can say that, but she She plots. Yeah, yeah. She plots. She she, she let out a whiffer is what she would say when I was growing up. (laughs) Um, she, she was like, wow, like she would pause. And I was like, those are just the house prices out here. And she could not comprehend it. We, as like West coast snobs, we call those the flyover States because you know, you fly from here to New York and that's it. So she's like, I don't know. There's something, something down there and the price points are lower and that's just all there is. (laughs) Jake, tell us, we know you grew up in Minnesota, right? So what was your adventure to get to where you are now here in Seattle doing real estate with Windermere? It's actually a pretty rebellious story to be be honest with you. I was probably 17. I had just gotten my license and my friend was staying with my mother and I temporarily. And this is before Minneapolis. I was in the cornfields. She came back from school. I was taking online classes at the time. And I was like, you know what? Let's go to Seattle tomorrow. And she thought I was kidding. And so did my mom. So my mom was like, yeah, sure. Go for it. 4 a.m. the next morning, we got in the car and we drove out here at 17 years old. And I was like, I want to live here. So that was my life goal. As soon as I could, I left my hometown, got to Minneapolis, made some connections, ended up going to SoCal, Denver, and now I'm here and I am here to stay. Windermere is also Amy's uh, home base. And so tell us all about how you decided to join Windermere and what do you like about it? I was just kind of doing my own business, some things that I thought would help me overall developing clientele, being in the market that I want to be in. And I was going through the MLS and I saw these listings and I was like, wow, these are really close to where I live, currently living downtown in a condo and contacted them. And they were from other firms and they were very kind, was able to do open houses for them. And I had never met these people and they were so sweet and caring and genuine to me. And at the end, I was like, 
I need to ask these people like who their managing broker is and like what office they're out of. Ended up being Windermere East Lake. I called up the designated broker within two hours of that phone call my license was transferred. Sounds like it was a pretty good phone call. Yeah, I was like, this person sees something (laughs) in me that I don't. That's great. Let's do it. You're going to be my external self-esteem. Yeah, awesome. Okay. (laughs) So we are doing this kind of series of two podcasts where we're talking to specifically agents that are millennials. Millennials in the last two years have become the largest buying demographic out there. And we, Amy and I, you're a Gen Xer, right, Amy? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a Gen Xer. I think my husband's like just the tail edge of boomers. He's 65. My parents are definitely boomers. There are some major differences around how we communicate. And I think that a lot of times there are frustrations expressed from both sides that millennials are like, boomers, why are you printing out the DocuSign to read it? Uh, You know, like Xers, like why are you trying to use whiteout on your screen? I would love to know, like as a millennial, because a lot of these, a lot of our agents that are out there are Xers and they're going to be having to talk to millennials and communicate with them. Jake, what do you think are the biggest frustrations that millennials millennials have with Xers and the way that we communicate, the way that we behave? Like, what are the things that that millennials find frustrating? Okay, so actually, I have insight from three sides to this. So with the vast majority of my friend group being Gen X, and then me being a millennial on the cusp of Gen Z, and also knowing people that are Gen Zers, I kind of see it all. And so being a millennial in a almost predominantly millennial market right now, not even first time home buyers. Some of them are already in the game. It's highly, highly competitive. You know, with millennials right now, things have been a bit tougher, not necessarily as much tougher as Gen X, but if you go up to like the boomer generation, I know that word's somewhat derogatory. I apologize if that offends anybody. It's not. It's not. Millennials use it in a derogatory way. They love it. Boomers are like, we're boomers and that's the way it is. Millennials were like, that is a dirty word. You (laughs) dirty, rotten boomer. All right. Um... (laughs) I I just feel like, you know, some of us, colleges got harder to get into. These jobs got harder to get into. And so, like, we're competitive. We've got spirit. We've got the fire under us that's just pushing us to get going. But at the same time, so does every other millennial out there. And so the market right now is just extremely hot and competitive. And I feel like that's largely in part of that as well as everything that's happened. On the flip side of that, though, the language that's used is much more relaxed and nonchalant, even though it is so competitive. I have heard the words rad, fire, lit, gas, awesome. Like, I've heard cuss words. I've heard, oh my God, this house is fucking amazing. This shit's on other homes. And I'm just like, yeah, but this house is rad as shit. And it's just like, it's (laughs) like growing up, especially in like my rural cornfield town, I am taught so much like respect your elders, do not swear. And so coming into this, I'm like, these are my people. This is amazing. I love this. And it's it's different though, because Gen X doesn't didn't really have that to to an exact replica of what we have now or a replicate. The other thing too though is the way of marketing and advertising and signing. All of that has changed. So I think I got my first cell phone at like 14, 15, but that was coming out of the dark. I had a tube TV and that was it. I had dial-up tone all of that. But these apps, you have Snapchat or Snap, you have Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, which I still even haven't got on, um, (laughs) which are now being utilized as at max capacity for marketing companies, businesses, agent growth, and also 
clients, people that are looking for homes are posting on these sites, these apps. With that too, you do have all these agents that are now on the apps and everything, which now it's almost competitive to get clients. And it comes down to like personality. Whereas before, if you knew an agent and social media wasn't around, I mean, Facebook has been there forever. Well, not forever, but pretty long. You, you've got <laughs> the dinosaur of apps. It's basically MySpace. I, yeah, no. At this point, honestly, you know, like it was just word of mouth. Like, oh yeah, I know an agent, and people didn't know ten agents out of their back pocket because they didn't have all these Facebook friends that were agents. And so it it has really changed the game in so many ways. It's more competitive, but at the same time, the in person interaction is more relaxed. Finding the right agent finding a client base, getting your stuff marketed, all of that has changed in almost every dynamic possible. It is so different than what it once was. My uh, husband's dad, so the greatest generation, this is like World War II generation, he was a firefighter um, in New York City and they had a three-bedroom house. His wife was a stay-at-home mom and they had four children and they were able to buy a home and all the furnishings and pay for education and all the things they needed to do on one firefighter income without a college education. And the thought of a millennial being able to do that at this point is nearly impossible. And so the level of competition that you guys are facing, the American dream is really reserved for people who can be 1%. Like the the very most successful people get to live that 1%. Everybody else is like dual income at best. And maybe you get to buy a house, maybe. And it's, it's a much tougher world in terms of real estate out there for these people. And so I think what you're saying is they're, they're, people are a lot more aggressive in what going after what they want. And Amy and I were actually just talking about dreamlining this idea of instead of building a timeline for something that you're doing, build a timeline for the dreams that you want. I think it becomes more and more important for uh, millennials to really truly understand what they want because they're not going to be able to have all of it. They can't have the career and be a mom and own a house and travel all the time. It's like, what's important to you? Go after that. There's a lot more you know, fear of missing out. Like, oh, if I don't buy a house, then I'll never buy a house. Oh, if I don't go on this road trip, I'm never going to go to a road trip. So I think you're exactly right. When your clients swear in front of you, there's kind of two ways that you can feel about that. Do you feel offended or do you feel more trusted? Like, does it add to vulnerability and authenticity for you? And at what point are you like, okay, now it's just foul. Like, it's just too much. Trusted because I've got quite a potty mouth, to be honest with you. Um, I've actually (laughs) dumbed it down over the last few years or dulled it down, made it not so out there and outrageous. You can usually tell the tone that it's conveyed in is kind of what makes me pick up on it. Like you can tell when you're being sworn at or something's being directed (laughs) to something versus like just a broad, a broad term. Mind you, I have yet to have a client swear at me, but because that would, that would be a whole different story. But yeah, no, it's overall though, it's, I feel like them letting their guard down, my guards down then. And it's just like, wow, this is a much more human being interaction. It is not robotic. It is not repetitive. It's not the same interaction I have with everybody else. It is just unique. And in its own way, I think that makes the interaction flawless is the empathy, the trust, the walls that are down. Great. And I know that's crazy that this all comes from swearing, but there's other things too. I support that a hundred percent. I think it's probably safe to say that the three of us here all have potty mouths. Justin, I'm totally speaking for you here. I know you <laughs> but- are. I- <laughs> 
I think Jake will back me. Jake will back me. But I, I think it is, I don't think I've ever thought of it that way. And I appreciate how you put it because I'm looking back on a recent interaction I had with a client. I had done a buyer's consultation via Zoom. So we just met a couple times kind of this way and obviously try and keep it together initially and take cues from my clients so that I'm not putting dropping the F-bomb, you know, in the first 15 minutes and, and risking offending someone. But at some point she sort of interrupted the, the exchange and was like, you know, I really like to use the word fuck. Are you okay with that? And I was like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and I feel like from, from there on, it just sort of like the walls tumbled down and we were each other's people. It was like, it totally brought us together. So I love that that's also your experience of it. Like when I grew up, this friend that actually lived with me, I'm going to send her this podcast after this because she's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. We are so kind of funny about it or comical or kind of self-picking. So if I were to walk down the street with a client or something and drop my coffee and land on my shoe, I'd be like, oh, fuck myself, I guess. And then I'd just be like, all right, let's go check this house out. And that's just kind of who I am as a person. I think words that are offensive have changed drastically during COVID and specifically ah. during Black Lives Matter. Because if we think about words that were offensive before Black Lives Matter, it was words like fuck, shit, damn, bitch, whore. These were the bad words. Now, the bad words are not about actions. It's more about demeaning other people. Because if you look at bad words now, like you have the N word, you have the F word for homosexuals, you have the R word for somebody who is differently abled. These are what is considered now to be truly offensive. And if you look at the words that are allowed to be used on TV now versus the words that were allowed to be used on TV, like in the early 80s or late 70s, they are completely, no one swore on TV in the 80s, but they would use incredibly racist, racist and homophobic and sexist terms all the time. And those really are the words that people are like, if you were throwing those around, you would be canceled in a hot second. And so it's almost like the whole notion around what is offensive has completely flip-flopped and it's come to the point like, is this a word that's going to hurt somebody else? Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Exactly. Like, yeah. like is it derogatory term or label that is broadcasting or is directed to a large group of people? Right. And then there's, there's rules around it where like with the F word, it didn't matter who used it. It was offensive no matter what during that time. But now if you're, if I'm gay and I was like, oh, this place looks fantastic. Well, I'm not going to get canceled for using the word faggot because I am gay, whereas a black person is not going to get canceled for using the N-word in relation to themselves or to one of their friends. Whereas if a white dude walked in and was like, what's up, my? And then said that, it was like, whoa, whoa. And so there's a lot of different rules. I think a lot of people are trying to get used to where those rules are of what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. Whereas before it was like the F word is wrong and it's bad all the time, always, forever. So <laughs> yeah, I kind I kind of agree with you there in terms of like, like, if you were to be like, wow, this is fantastic. Like, but for whatever reason, just the still like the FAG, if like, if that were said to me, I don't care by who I would be like, ooh. What if it's another gay man? I yeah, no, I would be like, ooh, cool, because it strikes something in me because I was bullied so much when I first came yeah. out. And so like it doesn't yeah. matter who does it. I'm just like, bro. My probably masculine side comes out. I'm like, bro, that's just like not cool, man. Come on. And like <laughs> like it's 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 interesting. That and that when as a gay man, when that word is hurled at you like from a, a moving car, oh my god, it hurts. You're like yeah. you're suddenly like scared for your safety and there's uh, your heart 
heart drops and you're like, oh my goodness. And so I love the idea of putting connotations around that word, positive connotations around it. Like if something is wonderful, I'm like, this is fantastic. Like that is so great. It's so good that it's gay. Like because gay was used as a pejorative for so long in our society and for us to turn it around and make it into an awesome thing. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, I, I love that idea. So since our world is changing since we've gone through COVID, I mean, fingers crossed, by the time this podcast comes out, we're going to see a lift of the mask ban indoor. And so what are you guys seeing in terms of what real estate is going to look like? Are we going back to a pre-COVID world? Are we going to stay in a post-COVID world? Or is it going to be a different thing that's like a combination of pre and post and during? Like, what is what are the protocols now? Are we shaking hands again? Are we hugging again? Well, at the time of this interview, um, and then at the time where you and I had our phone conversation just to go over a few things, um, some things have rapidly just like changed and exploded. Like we just had the stock market crash within the last 24 hours. We just had like all of these things happen. That's going to affect the buyer's market. So many people have assets in their stocks that they need to liquidate for earnest money, down payments, all of that. That is just a huge mind fuck that just happened that I don't think people have really had time to comprehend. I don't think it has taken a direct impact just yet because it's being so recent. Want to address that. And then in regards to COVID, I have no idea. You know, I have worked with quite a few agents and from multiple firms. Most recently, I had a co-listing with a Compass agent on my partner's house. And, you know, she was telling me stuff like she thinks that it's going to pop. It's going to flatline and become a buyer's market again when spring hits just because of, you know, the mask mandate lifting. I've heard other agents say the exact opposite. Interest rates are still climbing. Um, I I will mention, though, I have come across panic buying. That is something that freaks me out because I feel like you have people that are buying right now with these interest rates. They're getting into homes that they don't necessarily know everything about. And that's yeah. going to backfire either on the agent or the client or both or or even the seller. That's a risk to take. My minimal hope right now is that it just flatlines. I want it to go back to being an even market because as someone who is a transient and did not come on like an Amazon package or a Microsoft package, and aside from the person that I was seeing at the time, I had no backup at all to like get my feet up here in Seattle. And coming from a place where minimum wage is like $5 less, you know, the waiters up here, the cost of living up here is so much higher. You only really have two or three weeks to catch up to at least the minimum wage in the wages and the housing costs, or you're going to sink with the housing market going up so high in price and wages are not keeping up. It's really scary. There was an article that came up about two or three days ago, three days ago, because it was January 21st, because it freaked me out so much. And it was the median homeowner's net worth in Seattle proper was over $1 million. That is absolutely insane and somewhat frightening. Now, when you say flatline, you're talking about an even balance between buyers and sellers, not like on a heart monitor where there's literally no transactions happening at all. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't want anything to die. Yeah, sorry. We, 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 we just, I'm like, flatline sounds a little yeah, scary to me, Jake. We, we just want, um, we, we want it to become an even market again. I mean, yes, it is definitely a seller's market right now. 
but you do have these competing offers. There are still buyers out there and our jobs as agents are to make sure that our buyers do not get ripped off and our sellers do not get ripped off. And so with the right agent right now, if you have a good agent, I like to think that you do have a theoretical or hypothetical even market right now, because if your agent knows what they're doing, they're not going to let you get ripped off. They're not going to let you panic buy. They're not going to get you into a house you don't want to be in. And then vice versa. They're not going to let the seller go for under average asking. The market's unpredictable right now. I'm hoping that it becomes an even market, but there's ways to theoretically metaphorically, whatever you want to say, have an even market right now today with having a good agent. We get asked a lot with this hot market, is it good for you guys? And I'm like, ah, it's not the best for us. Like, well, what's your ideal market? I always refer to it as a slightly shitty market. So it's slightly shitty for buyers and it's slightly shitty for sellers where everybody has to actually like work hard, but everybody's taking some compromises, but people actually win and get in houses where they want to be. The frustration right now is that it is really, really shitty for buyers and really, really good for sellers. And if it was slightly shitty for both, that's like a good market where you can just make stuff happen. What do you think, Em? I love how you just articulated that. <laughs> slightly shitty. I'm yeah, going to hang on to that. Shitty. Slightly <laughs> shitty on both sides. I would take that right now. I don't know about you, Jake, but I'm ready for that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, slightly is different than extremely shitty. So yes. And that's the thing is that when it's great for buyers, it's really shitty for sellers yeah. and vice versa. But if everybody's making a little bit of a compromise, yeah. Yeah. you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So speaking of slightly shitty, tell us about your shittiest day in real estate. Well, I mean, I would say it was like in real estate in general. It was more so just to do with my business choices. My hardest day was also my best day because it ended up being the best decision I've made. The day that I decided to switch firms, when I had that two-hour phone call, the anxiety, that leap into the unknown, which is literally my biggest fear was just so overwhelming during those two hours and like what am I doing wow I like I've invested so much into my career with one firm and now I'm completely restarting all that fear though turned into joy and happiness within like the following week but that was something I think we can all relate to a job change career change office change it's a lot Um, That was probably the hardest day that I've had aside from getting started. What were the indicators for you that that where you had landed was not where you wanted to be? I mean, other than meeting some Windermere agents that were super kind to you, were there other things that were like, ooh, this is a little bit of a flag for me? Yes, maybe I'm just oversensitive or whatever. But like I as a person function with a cord with like no direct end, but I am always the receiving end and the translator of empathy. I'm a big fan of it. I go off of other people's energy. If people seem to have a condescending energy or are more closed off or just focused on themselves or like a small group of people, I shut down. I don't usually work really well around that, but a lot of people do. Don't get me wrong. My previous firm has a bunch of very successful agents and I'm incredibly proud of them and happy for them. It just wasn't working for me. And then when I felt immediately like my cord connected to all of these people. What was the change in your physical space in regards to what you're doing now? Like how does the physical space work for you at Windermere versus before? Yeah, having my own desk to me and just my own structure. I am someone that has crazy bad ADHD. Like if I'm already walking around and I, I don't really have my own, I like being able to order my own laptop stand and like a little bed for my dog to put under my desk so she can sleep when I'm working and just know what's going on and it being my space and it will not change is the best way to keep my mind on that one set success tunnel vision. 
it has just really benefited me. I know where everyone's at. I know where their desks are at. I know where, like, if I need to go get advice from something, I know exactly where to go. And it's just overall been very, very helpful. Not to mention a bonus side is my office right now actually overlooks and is probably 20 feet from Lake Union. I'm totally Mm. investing in a paddleboard this summer. Lovely. Views for days. I was a general contractor in San Francisco for a company called Peacock Construction. I did the exact same job for a construction company here called Lee Scratcher Lewis. And I absolutely loved my job in San Francisco. I was treated like, it was a family owned company. It was very small. I was treated like the gay son. Like I was just held up and supported and it was a wonderful place for me to work. And I thought that it was the fact that I was a general contractor and that's what made me happy. And so I came up here, I took a job with Lee Scratcher Lewis. It was a very successful firm. They do great there. But like I literally did not fit into the culture. So like their break room was decorated. It was orange and green because half of the people who worked there were <laughs> Ducks fans and half of the people who worked there were, were Beavers fans. And I was like, orange and green? And I was like, sports ball what? And so like, I just didn't, like, I just, I was not a cultural fit there. I was doing the same job. I wasn't profitable. I never made a dime there. Like nobody liked me. I didn't like anybody. And I was doing the exact same job I was doing before. And I utterly failed at it. And it taught me that a cultural match is more important than the project work itself. Like project work is baseline. You got to do that. But if you don't have a cultural match, just be darn miserable. I think that is absolutely true. And if you find yourself just walking into a space and like you're not understanding half the jokes that people are making that probably isn't the space for you like if you don't get their humor you're probably not get along with them right jake what's the best place for people to find you out there instagram my instagram handle is at jake donahue with two e's is that how you always say it at jake donahue with an extra e baby yes because yes. i literally show people it and they're like is this a typo and i'm like no someone stole my last name <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I'm going to take you back. Unless, Amy, are you dying to go back to go do some hot yoga? Justin, I, I, I feel like it's only fair to share. So I'm, I'm going to let you go. <laughs> I brought a Speedo with me today because I was like, it's going to be really hot back there. So nothing's hotter than a middle-aged <laughs> hairy dude in a Speedo. So let's go back and do some hot yoga, man. Thanks so much for coming out. Sharing is caring. <laughs> <laughs> I was starting to get a little worried. I do you have any water. I feel like you need to drink some water. It is hot back there. You were gone for a minute. It only felt like five minutes. How long was I gone? I don't know. At least 20, 25 maybe. I am so sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I kept myself busy, but I just feel like you need to hydrate now. And I also wonder, was it the baby goats that kept you? Or was it uh, the attractive people in Speedos? It was the Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <sighs> I've had this weird thing with straight guys lately. They're like, hey, dude, want to cuddle? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I do. And, and that's what happened with Bradley Cooper. So it was there's oh, a, little cuddle, a little bit of cuddling yeah, going on, a little bit of spooning. <laughs> I really, really loved talking to Jake. He's got so much energy. I found myself thinking that I want, I want to revisit. I think I, at one point, had a better understanding of all of the different generational sort of stereotypes, for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. Are you versed in that? Do you speak that language? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, let's just talk like general terms right now where yeah please where these where these are generally so boomers you're looking at like the bottom edge of boomers is like 65 and so Mm -hmm. 65 and older pretty much boomers you're gonna see some greatest generation you would know that somebody's from the greatest generation because they fought or survived world war ii so that's greatest generation right there boomers are the kids 
of those of people those. that came back from war and they had this baby boom. There was lots of babies born after the war because everybody had missed each other and they did a whole lot of Netflix and chill, if I was going to say it in millennial <laughs> terms, <laughs> before Netflix was a thing. So then we have boomers who then gave birth to Generation X. And Generation yeah. Xers, we are like from 40 to 50 right now. That's kind of yeah. our age bracket-ish. Mm-hmm. Millennials are 25 to 35-ish. That's kind of yeah. their bracket. Now, there's these things that are like tweeners. They're like cuspers. They're kind of in between the two thing. They're on the edge. Like my husband exhibits a lot of Generation X qualities, but also a lot of boomer quality because he is very much on the edge. Yeah. I am so solidly Gen X. Like when people yeah. write down here are the qualities of Gen Xers, I'm like, oh, that's me. We talk a lot about the differences of how we are communicating with our Gen Xers versus how we communicate with our millennial clients. What I notice is that if I send out an email that is more than three sentences, a millennial will read the entire thing. A Gen Xer will read the first sentence and then pick up the phone and ask me questions. <laughs> Yes. Okay. This is making total sense to me. And I'm yes. like, yeah, that's actually in the email. If you had bothered to read it, you would have done that. Yeah. But like, Melinda's like, you know what? It's too hard because I have to hold my computer like 15 feet away from my face yeah. in order for me to see that because we're all yeah. starting to lose our vision and we are too vain <laughs> yeah. to wear glasses. I've got them on right now. Just going to just pointing <laughs> it out. <laughs> are you using readers yet? These are readers. I have not. How gotten... many pairs have you lost in the past year? I probably have like 16 pair of readers scattered in my car in my bags, in my desk, by my bedside. There's everywhere. That's my solution. Like, I don't even track them. Because our parents wore readers and they were attached to a chain around their neck and were like, there is no way in Hades I am going to put a chain around my neck and carry my my readers with me. We're just not going to do it. And so our solution is that, number one, either we just won't read it (laughs) 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 or we're going to have so many pairs of readers, it's insane. So then there's this whole other thing. Millennials were called Generation Y for a hot second before the term millennial hooked to it. And the idea is that we were Generation X that didn't really have a name for us. There was nothing special that happened during our lives, and so they just didn't name us anything. Then there was Gen Y, they became millennials, and then after millennials, there's Gen Z. Gen Z feels like it's like that name might stick for a while, or it might change. If there's, it might be called the COVID generation or something like that as we come out of this, because you're looking for some kind of large thing that happened to define their entire generation's name. My son is a Gen Zer. I think your kid is probably going to be on the the very, very end of Gen, Gen Z. Dooley, my son, is hysterical. Like He rails against anything that millennials like. If millennials are like, oh, we should do it this way, he's like, no. <laughs> like, oh, really? Okay. Um, it's very interesting. He thinks millennials are like the stupidest, like old, crotchety, like boring people that millennials thought Gen X was, right? Yes. They saw us as just like old and silly. Yeah, yes. like, why are you printing out that docu-sign? Ah, that's yeah, the worst. <laughs> We, we're seeing these like very, very different tactics. We are completely taking our business model and making it so that if you want to call us, you can. Within the next three months, you will be able to do 
everything, schedule, pay, do the pricing, sign your contract, pay for it. You're going to be able to do everything without actually talking to a human being. I booked you guys for a listing that's coming up in the future. And I did it all. I ended up calling with a question, which if I'd read, maybe I would have found the answer somewhere. But I did it all without. Yeah. Right now, the one thing you cannot find out is our availability. What's the next Mm. available date? That's the one thing you cannot find out on our system. And Uh we are actually currently building a computer system that if you put in your pricing number, the computer will tell you what the next available dates are and you can click on it and book it and hold it in that moment. So you you will not have to talk to anybody. You certainly can if you want to, but you don't have to. And what we are finding, what I find is, you know, most of my staff is millennials. When I talk to somebody, I'm like, yeah, pick up the phone and call them. They're like this, oh! Dun dun dun! Like it is the most terrifying thing in the world. You have to pick up the phone and call somebody. And so, because we're trying to make our process as easy as possible, I don't want a client not to hire me because they had to pick up a phone. Like I want a client to hire me because my system is easy. Like it just works well. There's no barriers. Yeah. The millennials will be super early adopters. They'll go to that that route immediately because they do not like phone calls. Gen Zers, it will take a while longer because they're Mm -hmm. they're totally cool with picking up the phone. And and we're okay with that. We try to meet our client anywhere that they are, which cracks me up because I think there are a lot of real estate agents that will say, oh, I only text. Yeah. Okay, well, what if your client's a phone call person? Or what if your client wants to talk to you on Slack or something? And what if the agent on the other side is not a texter? Or what if the, there's so many complexities to that. What if your agent on the other side is only a texter? Yeah. And they don't let each other phone. And I I asked an agent today, I was like, hey, do you have a voicemail set up? And they're like, no, I never set up my voicemail. (laughs) And I was like, oh. Okay, okay. Yeah. Which seems, yeah. as a Gen Xer, that seems horrifying to us. Yeah. We're like, what, what if you miss a voicemail? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how the phones now will, like, they'll dictate the voicemail? Like, you can see the voicemail written out? Yes, yeah. Do you actually listen to the voicemail, or do you read the text? I read the text. So do I. Yeah, whenever it's available. Although sometimes I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, every like, once in a while the text is like, I'm bringing four cows and... You know, pumpkin. A loaf like, of bread. Something's like, not right about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It usually messes up people's names really bad. Yes. <laughs> I found out that, like, my son thinks that it's hysterical that when I write text messages or email on my phone, I don't use my thumbs to, like, type it in. Mm-hmm. I press the little microphone and I say, like, hi there, this is Justin Reardon, and I am <laughs> going to be at your store tomorrow, period. Would you be able to meet me? Question mark. Like, I dictate it into the phone. Yeah. I say it and he thinks yeah. that is the silliest thing ever and I'm like dude when your eyes don't work like <laughs> this works and great it's sort of faster to do that sometimes isn't it for me well I mean and he maybe he keeps it to two sentences and that's the end of that well he's also very willing to adapt text speak instead of writing out by the way it's btw instead of writing out y-o-u it's just the letter u and we're trying to teach him that like hey when you text one of your teachers or me or your dad you have to code switch you have to code switch from you cannot talk to us like you talk to your friends yeah you talk to us how you talk to a professional and you have to be able to go back and forth between those two things and so when he writes to me and he's like string of letters that i don't understand question mark. I write back and I'm like, English? Anybody here speak English? And so then he writes back to me in like Shakespearean sonnets. Would doubts come to the 
you know, I mean, it's just so like silly. Oh, He's so silly, but it's so generational. Up. That is amazing. Like it so speaks to both of your yeah. Uh, my mind is blown. I mean, this is like this stuff is so interesting. So like, I wonder if there would be like a whole vulnerability trust thing there if you as a Gen Xer texted one of your millennial clients with like text speak. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's BTW this bitch. Oh like, my God. <laughs> but Ooh, the, I, I would feel so inauthentic because I don't even know how too. to do it. <laughs> I would feel so silly. I would just totally feel silly. Is it a new yeah. language that we need to learn? Oh my gosh. I don't know, Justin. I think that's a really valid question. Okay, listeners out there, if somebody has an opinion out there, <laughs> if you are a Gen Xer and you have learned to talk in text talk, would you please call us? Because we'd love to talk to you. Utterly fascinating. I'm I'm so into it. We have another guest on our next episode, another millennial agent, and she's going to help us to define some of the terms that millennials and Gen Z uses that Gen Xers don't get. Like the other day, just for example, I walked out in a suit and my son goes, ah, that is so drippy. And I was like, I look like I have a venereal disease. And he's like, no, (laughs) your outfit is really good. And I was like, it sounds gross. Like, I don't want to be drippy. (laughs) Is my nose running? What is that? What is that? I don't know what's happening. happening. Yeah. Yeah. He was God. trying to compliment me, and I was like, okay, yeah. thank you? Question mark. Yeah, we got old. <laughs> Somewhere in there, we got old. And drippy. <laughs> Apparently, that's good, though. Drippy oh is my good. God. <laughs> okay. I did love when Jake was like, we use words like rad, and I was like, bitch, I have been using rad since I was in fourth grade. <laughs> what, what is the best place for people to find you? <laughs> uh, I can be found at amyromberg.com and Justin, you're rad. You are so rad too. <laughs> it's a mutual rad society. I love this. Uh, first off, huge thank you to all the people who have reached out to us with your stories. We absolutely love hearing them. Got a cue built up. If you've got a story that you want to tell, please reach out to us. Let us know. We'd love to talk to you. Our editor is Richie. Thank you so much for making it sound so smart, Richie. You are the best. Our mm-hmm. music is written, composed, and performed by Joffrey Russell Clayton Metz, my best friend from high school, 30 years of relationship, gone <laughs> all that guy. Uh, you can find him at fivestarguitars.com. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Uh, you can get your instant pricing. You can book a site visit. You can book your project. Everything is instant on there. It all happens. Amy, I think our fastest record right now is going from initial pricing to full signed and paid contract is 17 minutes that's down from amazing. two weeks before so we're in yeah. good shape there i think that's about it so i guess we'll see you next time behind the yard sign this production of behind the yard sign was brought to you live from the spade and archer studios spade and archer design agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager